Coming up on Streamageddon, great news, America. The writer's strike has finally ended, and we're celebrating our love of creative fiction by watching The Bachelor. Join us as we accept a rose from The Golden Bachelor and tell you which streaming services you should add, keep, or cancel this fall. All that coming to you right now on Streamageddon. Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that will accept this rose from you, dear listener. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined by someone who I think I can share this is no longer an eligible bachelorette, Diane Nora. How you doing, Diane? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I am uh, thrilled that we picked the best possible timing to dip into reality TV. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to say I'm not much of a reality viewer, and I can't believe how much fun I had. Same, same. That is actually a great tease for later this episode. We have watched the first two episodes of The Golden Bachelor on ABC and Hulu, and we have many, many, many thoughts to share. And and truly, I come from a Bachelor-averse perspective, so this was a lot of fun for me. Agreed. But first... There is some news to talk about related to scripted television. You might have heard about it. Let's get to it. I believe it will come as no surprise at this point to learn that the Writers Guild of America has settled their strike with the AMPTP. Congratulations. Congrats, writers. And, I mean, I think by pretty much all accounts, this settlement is a win for the Writers Guild. Overall, yeah, when the details finally came out, it is a little bit of everything they asked for. Even things that uh, months ago I would have said they're not going to get that, like uh, some limits or requirements on the number of writers in a writer's room. That felt like a real reach to me or something that you'd surely sacrifice for something else. And while it's not coming through in the originally proposed fashion, some form of it is. And you could say the same for the pay increases, the streaming residuals, the international residuals. They got something from everything they wanted. Including wins for all types of writers, which I think is a big deal. Overall, a very big deal. And, uh, you know, a success in in the hot labor summer, as they've been calling it, uh, that hopefully will extend to not just SAG-AFTRA, which we sort of expect to settle very soon along similar lines, but also IATSE and the uh, other, you know, um, kind of technical side of the equation, which are negotiating their contracts next year. Yes, very exciting. Solidarity is powerful. But it also does lead us to what will the new world look like? And uh, one of the details that we have to comment on talking about this as a big win for writers is there is going to be something lost, uh, just not necessarily in the contract. In this case, a lot of writers have what are called all-around deals. Uh, These used to be rare and for really big names. And then over the course of the streaming boom, they became very common. It was a way of a streamer or a a network uh, pointing to a writer and saying, you're ours now, you're on our payroll, your ideas get to go by us first in, you know, different versions of the contract. In some, it's a first look deal. In some, it's an exclusivity arrangement. Uh, You know, you can see this in the big names still with people like Shonda Rhimes and Netflix or Ryan Murphy and Netflix. Uh, You can also see it with tons of smaller people whose names you don't recognize. 
those all-around deals for the other people whose names you don't recognize, they don't seem like something that will exist nearly as plentifully in in the future, uh, beginning with the fact that uh, they're just shorting them the months that they were on strike. And that's something that they're allowed to do. The, the networks and the streamers are saying, you know, you had a four-year deal with us. You were on strike for five months, so we're not going to pay you for those five months. But also, we're not going to extend the deal five more months to make you whole, which is what a, a lot of those writers expected. Uh, and that hints at, and we might not renew your deal when it expires, because we're not sure we want to have so many exclusivity arrangements like this. They're expensive. And and. I think they're kind of hinting at we're not planning on producing such a high volume of new content anymore. So, you know, you can go shop yourself around. Good luck. I think that you're right, that this is part of a, a bigger contraction of the industry. Uh, in this new era, I just there won't be as many shows. And we've seen this this year. I think that's going to continue. Um, they're just peak TV has ended and there are going to be fewer shows made, which means fewer people writing those shows. I think that this was something that the producers wanted to do already. And they're using this renegotiation with the strike as an as a way to get that. But I don't think they're doing this necessarily as a result of the strike. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. And it leads me to the other thing that the streamers have been waiting to do. And now that the strike is ending, they are ready to tell us that they're going to raise prices. They're not you know, they might pretend like they're raising prices because they have to pay more to their creatives now. But no, they wanted to raise these prices all along, but it would have looked bad and been awkward to announce a price hike during the strike negotiations. So instead, they waited until the moment that, that the WGA settled. And now Netflix has leaked that they will be raising prices for uh, ad-free tiers once the SAG-AFTRA strike is also settled. So we don't know the details yet. Uh, Discovery Plus just announced a price hike. Uh, I think, again, on the ad-free tier to encourage people to just move to Max. That's my read on that. Uh, Amazon is uh, going to add ads to your Amazon Prime video shows unless you pay extra on top of your Prime subscription to remove the ads. It's like buying a Kindle and having to pay extra to remove the special offers, but monthly. So nice. Uh, All of those, all of those relatively new price hike announcements just coming at you fast. And again, I think that this is something that they're going to use the strike as an excuse for, but is not caused by the strike. They lost some money because of the strike because of their failure to uh, make a deal sooner. But at the same time, I should say reach a deal sooner. It's not entirely one sided, but we know that they didn't present a counter offer for months. Uh, so yeah. I think that they, these were their pricing was not realistic for the profits that they want to make. And we're going to continue to see increases over the coming years. Yeah, I I think so, too. And the other trend in this is raising prices on the ad-free tiers to push people to the ad-supported tiers. Uh, Another similar announcement, not really a price hike, but AMC Plus announced a new cheaper AMC Plus tier that shows you ads. You know, more options to get you in the door to then watch ads that they can make more money off of in perpetuity while you also pay them. It is shockingly similar to how cable television worked, where you paid for access and then they made more money showing you ads. What a world. Ooh, here we go. (laughs) 
you know, and like everything old being new again, uh, late night TV is back, same as it ever was. That is one of the most immediate instant outcomes of the end of the strike, uh, w- with a few wrinkles, the most noticeable being the actors still cannot be guests or promote their work, which is how you get the return of SNL with guest host Pete Davidson, who I guess isn't in SAG? I, d- I don't know. He is actually. Um, they released a statement about this because I was also confused. So I did a little hunting on this. Um, SNL is on a slightly different contract. So he's allowed to work there without breaking strike rules. But Pete Davidson is a member of SAG. Interesting. And, you know, um, the, the different rules reminds me of one of the uh, strike adjacent stories we never got a chance to talk about, which is why late night shows had to fully disappear this time, essentially. Whereas in the last writer's strike, most late night shows stayed on air and just didn't have writing staffs. And so that resulted in very goofy things like Conan O'Brien kind of ad-libbing his way through entire shows. Uh, And one of the reasons that I didn't know initially and learned over the course of the strike was because David Letterman and his Worldwide Pants production company had a different agreement with the WGA. They they weren't produced by CBS or, uh, at the time, Viacom. Uh, they, they they were fine to keep making shows with their writers during that strike. And so the rest of Late Night felt like they couldn't go off the air, but they didn't have that same special arrangement, so they didn't have writers. Where, you know, that was a really unique David Letterman situation, and this strike, there is no one like that. And so all of the, the shows did have to, you know, basically go off air. And, and also I think the tone was different this time. But the, the David Letterman of it all, I found fascinating. It is fascinating. And I also want to bring up that you mentioned, yes, these late night shows are coming back same as they ever were. At the same time, I think you rightly predicted that the future of late night will be very different. And that's one thing that we're going to continue keeping an eye out for, because it seems like the model for late night TV is in flux. Uh, to say the least. And speaking of that flux, one of the uh, wonderful side effects of the end of the writer's strike is after five long months, we can return to one of our favorite segments, Daily Show Host Emergency Gossip Watch. Dun dun dun! I forget what we used to call it, it's been so long, but finally we can return to speculating wildly about who will take over The Daily Show if they ever really figure this out, because it feels like we've been doing this for thousands of years now. Who was Trevor Noah? What happened to him? Is he a wizened old man now at the top of a a high mountain dispensing late night advice and wisdom? I think he's probably seeing what's happening right now at Comedy Central and going, wow, I got out right in time because it's Mm. a hot mess. Oh, oh, you could say that again. Uh, And you know who else just decided to get out while the getting out is, well, maybe not as good as it was when Trevor got out, but close Mm. enough? Roy Wood Jr. Pour one out for one of The Daily Show's most uh, reliable rocks in this uh, Trevor Noah era. He is not returning when the show comes back on uh, later in October. And he he revealed this in an interview on NPR, which is somehow the most like tr- like old school Daily Show flex. That really also underscores, I think, why Comedy Central is not interested in Roy Wood Jr. as the host. He just, I think, demographically trends a little too old, which kills me because he... I demographically am that uh, that demographic. It hurts. It, it hurts. It does. And I think that they're making a big mistake because while, you know, 
his initial appeal may skew older. I think he has the potential just because he's so darn funny to appeal to folks of all ages. But, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased. I'm a fan. And frankly, he just deserved better than this. I agree, which is sort of the tone of his exit interviews, because as soon as it broke, he's uh, done a smart media play. I saw uh, articles about this, NPR, Variety, the AV Club, my dad texting me. Everyone had a thought about Roy Wood Jr. leaving. And he was pretty transparent in saying, I'm not waiting around for them to give the hosting gig to someone else and then continue being a correspondent. That's I've done that for eight years. It's a lot of work. And if they're not interested in me for the top job, that's okay. I'll go find something else to do. And he does leave the door open. He says, listen, if they ever call you and say, do you want to host The Daily Show, you entertain the offer. But he is, I think, uh, looking at the same reality most uh, of the people predicting this are looking at and saying, why would I stick around? At the same time, I think that, and this is a bleak thing, I really hate that this is my thought. I think that The Daily Show is in some ways a sinking ship and that he would do better to find a new a new spot. I think there's some truth to that, for sure. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I hope we yeah. have another golden era of The Daily Show to come. I just, I, I don't frankly see that happening. Yeah, and, and this kind of slow cascade to the uh, Roy Wood Jr. news began uh, a couple of weeks ago now when, uh, this, as the strike was wrapping up, the writer's strike essentially, and uh, news started to drip out about things that were frozen in time, like the Daily Show situation. The news came out, seemingly from some sources inside, uh, now Paramount, that, you know, the Daily Show was pretty close to picking Hassan Minaj and that then there was this New Yorker article, questions about, uh, you know, stories he fabricated in his comedy. I don't really want to get into that uh, stand-up comedy ethics conversation so much as it became very clear that that the Comedy Central was, like, they had a list and Hassan's name was at the top of the list. And that they didn't really have a lot of Plan B choices ready to go. Uh, and I imagine they were just waiting until the strike was over to make any moves. And so now the the story is they're back at square one. And, you know, fast forward a week and a half, Roy Wood Jr. is out. Because if the story is we're back at square one, it means Roy wasn't on the top of that list. Yeah, it means there was no one else on the top of that list. Yeah, which, again, it seems like a baffling blunder. Yeah, and, that, and that's where I think you might be on to something about the, the sinking ship of it all because um, if they were firing on all cylinders I think they would have had a better succession plan in in place to begin with maybe and definitely at this point in the journey where if truly again this is reading between the lines but if their if their short list was one name and then they didn't spend any time during the strike considering other options and then right near the end of the strike they decide that that one name on their short list isn't going to work anymore and they're like we're back to square one when you had other names, there were many guest hosts of The Daily Show at this point. You could at least say, well, now we're thinking about some other people. But the way they, they pressed this news out to the, the trades was, well, now who knows who the host will be, which honestly is bad management if you were trying to keep somebody like Roy Wood Jr. sticking around. Yeah, not a lot of soft skills being uh, shown there. That's... That's just disrespectful, especially since many of those folks who were, you know, guest hosting for the time came out publicly and said, I want this job. Yeah. 
You could at you least can make another that. choice. Yeah. Yeah, you can make another choice without insulting them. Yeah. And, and you know, they've at least said the the uh, appropriate polite statements about Roy leaving. Roy did tell The Daily Show before he told NPR. So they're not leaving on, on bad terms. But none of it feels like it was handled very well. No, he doesn't seem happy. No, he he does not. And that's too bad because I want Roy, Roy Wood Jr. to be happy. He, he, he makes me happy. I want that for him. Me too. But you know... Sometimes on this podcast, we also want to make you happy, dear listener, by helping you make better streaming choices, especially in these tough economic times where you want to stretch your streaming dollar to the fullest. And that is something we address on a a sultry little segment where we get a little close and tell you which services you should add, which services you should keep. And which services, ooh, should you cancel? Yes, it's called Ad Keep Cancel, and it's a lot like that game, FMK, that for reasons where I don't want to use the explicit flag on the podcast, I'm going to let you Google if you can't figure it out. Yes, that's the segment. Here we go. I botched the ending of that, but we're going to keep it in because, you know, it's it's a lot of fun to press the buttons that make the music. And sometimes I have to accept the consequences, just like some streamers have to accept the consequences of their programming decisions, because that's kind of how we come around to our decisions on Ad Keep Cancel. How are you feeling about uh, your choices this month, Diane? I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Uh, should, should, should I jump right in? Yeah, let's start with you. Ad. What is your ad? Which streaming service should I sign up for if I don't already have it? I'm going to repeat my keep from last month, but with a little bit of a change up. I'm not just saying Hulu now. I'm saying get Hulu plus live TV. Wow, that is a big ad. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's a considerable price <laughs> like That's as an well. expensive ad. It is, but it means uh, get rid of your cable. Yeah, so your pitch here is if you have traditional cable still, now's the time. Ditch it for Hulu with live TV. Yep. Oh. That, that's the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the there's, pit. also, that- there's also a deal right now. It's $49.99 a month where uh. it's regularly $69.99 a month. So, you know, get in while the getting's good for at least a few months of this deal. And uh, it includes Disney Plus, so you have that too. It includes ESPN Plus, which somebody surely watches and um i don't know i hulu is already a great product and one that i use regularly i think adding the live tv to it i would be more likely to use it than if i went with a competitor like youtube tv that's a really good point in the end there because i i have been tempted to sign up for uh, an over-the-top uh streaming service like this a, a you know a cable replacement uh, and what a lot of a sticking point for me with something like YouTube TV that comes very well regarded, very well reviewed by people who use it, is I'm not a big uh, YouTube user in my daily media consumption. I certainly use the service, but it's not a default for me. So I'm not already going there to watch things, whereas I am already going to Hulu to watch things. I just watched The Golden Bachelor on Hulu this afternoon. So uh, the idea of bundling in all of my TV with a service I already use is more attractive. 
Agreed. Yeah. And when I do watch YouTube, and I know this may be a generational thing, I watch YouTube for specific content. Like I seek content on YouTube. I don't browse on YouTube. Whereas if I'm not sure what I might watch that night, I might turn on Hulu and be like, oh, which of my shows has a new episode? You know, like, are there what's out? You know, so I am I'm much more likely to actually use the product if I go with Hulu. All right. That is a compelling, uh, though expensive case for adding <laughs> Hulu with live TV. But, you know, like I said, this is about stretching your, your dollar and you say it's a deal right now. So why not go get a deal? And that brings me to my ad, which is also sort of a deal right now. It's Max, the Max app. And I, uh, I'm always a fan of the Max app. Uh, and it's great name. But what has got me uh, praising the Max app at the moment is the addition of CNN and BR Sports, which uh, a weird name still to me. But we talked about that last episode. They are adding a sports tier that is free for the next five months. Uh, it will start to cost money, coincidentally, right when March Madness starts. What a good play from the people at the Max app. Uh I haven't had a lot of time to play with the CNN content there, but uh, what is exciting to me is that now when, say, the leader of the House of Representatives is facing a motion to vacate and the government Mm -hmm. is going into chaos, I have an easy app to open and watch some live coverage of that. Oh, yeah. I'd say going into the next year, there might be some news to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am. I think that's good timing on Max to begin what they're calling a beta of their CNN content. Uh, and similarly, in interviews that the uh, executives at uh, Max app have been saying that the BR sports product is going to evolve and gain more features over the coming months, but that they want to get people kind of in early access. And again, it's uh, free in this early access period. And the CNN content also free in this beta period. They've been extremely vague about whether that means they might charge for some CNN in the future. Uh, with the BR sports, they've said $10 a month starting in March, which is also not that expensive if you're already paying for Max. Disney is, of course, looking to do an ESPN over-the-top service, and all reporting suggests it will be significantly more expensive than a $10 a month add-on. So if you are a sports person and you like basketball or the MLB or, I think, hockey they have, I don't know, TNT, uh, that stuff, anything that would have aired as a, a you know sports on TNT or TBS is going to be available on BR Sports on the Max app. Such a catchy name. So catchy. I have to say, I mean, how do you feel about CNN? Do you watch it much now? No, but now I have a no. default answer for where will I go for live news on streaming? Truly, it's it's not really a, a, an affinity for CNN so much as I have been waiting for one of these uh, services to take a recognizable anchor or a recognizable brand and stick it in their streaming service. <clears throat> Peacock. Because, like, look at NBC's strategy. They have news products in Peacock that you can stream seemingly live, but whenever I've tried to tune into, I believe it's NBC News Now on the Peacock app to see like some live story, like there is a biblical rainstorm flooding all of Brooklyn. I w- that's local news to me, and, I, and it's national news. I imagine there will be some news about that. But on the NBC News Now app, it's some pre-taped segment where they're covering, like, the Puppy Bowl. It, you know, it, they, they don't have the infrastructure 
to break in and they don't have the real anchors. They have like, you know, kind of uh, the person who looks like they've dressed up as an anchor for Halloween. Uh, whereas CNN is going to break in with live news from CNN anchors on CNN. Like, the, oh, I know what that is and I know what it's going to provide me. And it's live news with live updates about things happening live. If the folks at Comcast got together and they made uh, Steve Kornacki available on any of these news hubs, I would tune in. Like, 100%. But until until it's those khakis, I'm out. Yeah, I just think such a big miss because they have the MSNBC brand. They have a, a good roster of really good and wonky anchors at MSNBC. I don't expect them to take Rachel Maddow and give her to me for free on Peacock. But I do kind of expect them to give me, you know, Kornacki. G- give me, I don't know, Alex Wagner. G- give me something instead of saying, no, you have to subscribe to cable to watch, you know, MSNBC, because no, my my brand affinity for MSNBC is not high enough to subscribe to cable for it. Absolutely not. No, that's just not not worth the cost. No, no, not at all. But the Max app may be worth the cost to you if uh, the idea of either live sports or live news is attractive. And of course, if you just like last week tonight, it's finally back. And that is a late night show that is that it seems like it was just unfrozen in time. It doesn't have to deal with the celebrity guest questions or any of that. It just it was like, oh, last week tonight is last week tonight all over again. And it felt so good. Reliably high quality. Mm, That's the Max app for you. I almost called it by its uh, old name, but we just can't anymore. I'm sorry. Well, that brings us to the more challenging sections of ad keep cancel. What would you keep. Again, you like it. But if you don't already have it, there's no need to rush out and get it. This is a tricky one, Diane. What did you choose for your keep? I have a tentative keep. Mm. It's Disney Plus. Uh, yep, okay. Give me your give me your argument. I have many thoughts. I'm going to watch Loki. That's I'm, I'm I gave that's it an that episode. That was the argument, yeah. That that's it. I'm yeah. I'm staying around for one show for now. I'm not going to cancel it. Ahsoka did not inspire confidence. Ooh, no, it did uh, not. Um, what 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 did they do to Nick Fury? That show did uh-huh. not inspire confidence. But I'm gonna give them, you know, at least a few more episodes of Loki season two. Uh, so it's tentative, but it's a keep for now. I think that's a solid choice because I, I thought about putting Disney Plus there just for this reason, and then I I kind of let it go because I had a better thought, at least better mm-hmm. for me. Netflix. I am not a huge Netflix stan, but right now Netflix is kind of going into a a renaissance of sorts. Uh, Maybe perhaps it's coincidental that they just finally killed their DVD service and now streaming can thrive. Uh, But Netflix is uh, riding high on a a show we have mentioned before, but I want to mention again, Suits. Suits just broke Nielsen's streaming records for the most weeks at number one on these Nielsen streaming charts. Uh, And then Netflix is also getting Dune from Warner Brothers Discovery, because as the the industry is contracting and kind of shape-shifting, Warner Brothers Discovery, famous for putting Dune directly on HBO Max at the time and pissing off Denis Villeneuve uh, because they cut out the the theatrical portion of its release, Uh, now they're like, hey, Netflix, would you like to hand us a sack of cash to be the streaming home of Dune Part 1 right before Dune Part 2 comes out? And Netflix was like, sure. 
uh, happy people all around. Netflix is happy. Uh, WBD is happy. Dillis Villeneuve seems unhappy always, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, That's very curious, and I'll say more on Netflix soon. Oh, perhaps right now when we talk about which show, which streamers we should cancel. That that was my my impulse. Okay, yeah. give me the rebuttal. Why should I cancel Netflix? Okay, I just think they're not in a good moment for their Netflix originals. Uh, oh, oh, notice I did not season? name a single Netflix original. Yeah, and and I actually watch Netflix a lot for the originals. I will say I do kind of enjoy Suits. It's really watchable. It's fun. Um, I don't love it quite as much as I love The Lincoln Lawyer, but, you know, the, the Suits is fun. And luckily, there are many seasons. The new season of Sex Education is a real uh, disappointment for me so far, whereas the previous seasons I absolutely loved. Um, they have this uh, show, Virgin River, that's a huge hit. I watched a couple episodes of it, and I was like, I this is some Hallmark Channel for me. It, it's just, and some people love the Hallmark Channel. It is not the caliber of content that I expect for what I'm paying for Netflix. And then their new stand-up specials are Shane Gillis and Jeff Foxworthy. Just absolutely not appealing to me. None of this, none of this is striking my fancy. Well, I think you made a good counterpoint to my argument. Uh, I would say what what gets me uh, feeling, you know, passable about Netflix right now is they seem like they're getting back a little bit of their old mojo, which was we have stuff from other networks that have hundreds of episodes that you would like to watch in the background. That was what made Netflix streaming so dominant was that we have 30 Rock, we have The Office, we have every sitcom you've ever, uh, ever watched. And of course, then all the other streamers clawed those back and now that that financial model makes no sense they're selling them back to netflix again and that gives me some hope that netflix will be able to at least hedge their bad originals because i have been on record many times as saying i just find the general quality of netflix originals to be mediocre at best Uh, and so it, it encourages me that they are getting the opportunity to do what they do well which is find shows that uh, can have a second life breathed into them. I think that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, financially, I think that makes sense for Netflix to, you know, build up their library. Like I said, I go to Netflix for the originals and then I like would keep Netflix for the back catalog. Uh, So in that sense, I I respect your choice to keep. But especially with the rumors of another price hike coming, they haven't said yet how much it could be, but... I mean, no, I'm just not sure it's worth it. It's already almost $20 a month for the premium version. Yeah, I would say watch this spot, so to speak, because once we know the details of that price hike, I would be more and more likely to move Netflix down to the cancel tier. But I had too many options for the cancel tier this month because I thought about saying cancel Disney Plus, but that would be disingenuous because mm-hmm. I am going to keep it just for Loki and nothing else. Uh, then I thought... Cancel Peacock, because I literally can't remember the last time I thought about Peacock. And then I thought, well, SNL is coming back, and I might do next day SNL on Peacock. So, okay. And then that brought me to uh, what was a surprise to me, because I've been feeling good about this streamer lately. But I think it's time, in a couple of weeks, to cancel Paramount+. 
And uh, I stress the in a couple of weeks because I am a huge fan of Star Trek Lower Decks, which is in the back half of its uh, fourth season. And I would not cancel Paramount Plus before that season finishes. But once that season finishes, I do not know why I would give any money to Paramount Plus until there is another show that is exclusive that I want to sign back up for. There, there's a gap in their kind of Star Treks, and I don't love all of their Star Treks, so, uh, you know, there are some I can skip. And uh, at the same time, there are a handful of CBS shows that I actually like, especially the American version of Ghosts, but that's delayed because of the pandemic, so those aren't going to be airing on Paramount Plus. So I'm like, I think it's time to let that go, because if I don't let it go, I might accidentally watch the Frasier reboot. And that is something that I, I think I'll never recover from. Oh, come on. We have to review okay, it. Okay, fine. I know we're going to review it. But did you please? see there is an article with an interview with one of the um, uh, one of Hollywood's uh, longtime uh, sitcom directors and writers. He's he's worked on shows as far back as Cheers, which Children, if you don't know, Cheers is the actual origin story of Dr. Fraser Crane and not the show Fraser. But Cheers is where we met Fraser, and then Fraser was on Fraser. And so this guy, uh, he is. Uh, Jimmy Burroughs. Thank you. So Jimmy Burroughs is talking, you know, kind of in press uh, building up to the release of the Frasier reboot on Paramount Plus, pithily titled Frasier, parentheses, 2023, if you're searching in the Paramount Plus app. Uh, and, and he basically gives this interview where he, he sort of says, listen, I just directed these episodes. There aren't a lot of good comedy writers. Though I was relieved to read that he also blamed the studios for the for this quality of current sitcoms he, he wasn't just like people can't write a joke anymore no no it, there's a little more nuance to that you're fair the, the link is in our show notes uh what he was stressing in his view was that in the cheers era in the 1980s uh there were three networks and 30 good writers that was his uh, a paraphrase of what he said and that now in 2023 there are 300 networks and 30 good comedy writers that the the uh, you know there is a finite number of people who are very good at writing very funny tv but now there is an infinite number of studios and streamers and choices and so it's just diluted that talent pool and i, I would say there's probably some truth to that absolutely um yeah there's uh, some truth to it but in that moment, it sounded like him saying, the new Frasier is bad, but don't blame me. It did. It doesn't inspire confidence in the new series, but I, I, I'm I, a Cheers girl. I'm a Frasier girl. I'm sinking with the ship. Well, the good news is it premieres before the end of the Star Trek Lower Deck season, so I can't cancel Paramount Plus that soon. I guess we will have to review Frasier, parentheses, 2023. The look on your face. I can't tell if it's terror or joy, but it's something. It's a whole mix of feelings. Well, you know, speaking of a whole mix of feelings, love. A topic explored deeply on The Bachelor. And of course, it's explored in a very special way. On this show, we're going to discuss this week The Golden Bachelor, the latest Bachelor series airing on ABC Thursday nights and airing next day on Hulu for people like me. Uh, or Diane, I guess you could watch it with Hulu with live TV. Oh my God, hadn't even considered. I could watch it with Hulu with live TV live and then I could watch it again on Hulu the next day. Wow, so many options uh, for Bachelor fans. Uh, if you're somehow unfamiliar with The Golden Bachelor. Uh, this is The Bachelor, but with old people. 
There you go. That's the premise of The Golden Bachelor. We will be discussing episodes one and two. Uh, Diane, you were the, the one who really wanted to review this. I am happy to be here, but I'm dying to know why The Golden Bachelor in particular? Why have you not pushed me to watch anything else in The Bachelorverse? Well, to be candid, because I'm not a big fan of The Bachelorverse, I've seen a couple episodes of one season of The Bachelorette, and I found it uh, entertaining, but also grotesque. Like there's this really exaggerated performance of gender that the contestants do, which is uh, expected of them. I'm not criticizing the uh, people who go on the shows for this necessarily, though they're certainly perpetuating a problem, but it's it's kind of hard to watch, I, I find. Um, I, I, I feel the same in many, many regards these like svelte 23-year-olds dating 20 people at the same time and being like i just really want to find true love and it's like oh i'm not i'm not cheering for you really and then some of the fandom i think becomes about cheering against people and kind of like hating people which is a a classic of the reality tv genre but not necessarily something that i particularly feel good about doing like it makes me feel a little gross and there's something about the golden bachelor that i assumed based on the advertising would be slightly more wholesome uh that kind of struck my fancy like it seems like it's maybe a comforting sweet show but but in the exact format and formula of the bachelor which is a, oh yes a, which is a little uncanny in some ways because i i too i've seen a variety of episodes of a variety of bachelor or bachelorettes uh because i have dear friends who love those shows i i would say loved them more in their heyday about five to six years ago but still that it is one of the most dominant franchises on network tv um and i would try because i would want to do the bachelorette pool i would want to you know watch the first episode and pick who i think is going to win and do the bracket or whatever and every time i tried to get that involved i just found it exhausting the the mm. the kind of tone is always sort of at 11 um the 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 people all feel very disingenuous for the most part and part of it is their age i think as we have become part of the wizened de demographic as i described earlier uh one thing that i struggle with on those shows is you know any like 24 year old saying they're out to find their true love on a tv show is is not really you know there for the right reasons to use the parlance of reality tv uh whereas on the golden bachelor these are all people 60 and up uh, uh, Gary, our, our golden bachelor, turns 72 in the second episode. And, and a lot of them are widows or widowers. Gary is a widower. Uh, and a lot of the conversations in the first and second episodes in their one-on-ones are about, oh, how did your spouse die? Oh, here's, I felt the same way when my spouse died. And there is something so authentic even though it is reality TV and there is much about it that's not authentic, but there is something where I believe many of them are there, quote unquote, for the right reasons, because they want to find a second love in their life before they die, which is is stakes as well. I, I really do feel the stakes of the show because when some of the women are let go, you can see, you know, in their, their um, talking head interviews on the way out, you know, they, they say things like, 
I I'm I didn't know I could maybe even hope to find love again, which is of course also a very charming you know uh, vignette and and tagline and ad copy for the show. Sure, it's all manipulating my emotions, but I also feel that that's real for that person, and I do think there's something really uh, I'm going to use uh, the word brave, really brave about taking these uh, especially older women. But also, Gary, but especially a group of women ranging from like 60 to almost 80 and saying these people can be objects of desire. They can go date and be goofy and meet the man of their dreams, maybe the second man of their dreams, even though... Uh, one of them says, I had both my knees replaced, so please let me take the bottom bunk. Even though they're all, you know, kind of tearing up when they talk about their their dead spouses. Even though they are elderly. Yeah, and also, I mean, maybe this shows something about me and where I'm at in my life, but 60's not elderly. I know. <laughs> Um, so there, it, there is a range of ages and, you know, people age differently. There are 72 year olds who, you know, do seem like older folks. And there are 72 year olds who are especially vibrant and full of life and, you know, active. Uh, so it, it really varies based on the person. And I think that one of the greatest arts of television in general is casting, but especially for reality TV, so much of the creation of the show is dependent on the casting. We talked about this a little bit with Jury Duty, uh, how, you know, that guy Ron was so charming that like it made me like the show a lot more. Um, Gary Turner, I think, is good casting. Yeah. I like him. I like his story. Yes, it is emotionally manipulative the way that the show is edited and stuff, but they're doing it very successfully. I wept within the first five minutes of this show and I did not expect to, but I think, you know, the, the format of The Bachelor promises those moments, you know, you'll cry, you'll laugh, it's a little titillating, and that's the 30 minutes. Yeah. And then there will be a rose ceremony and you'll you'll cry and then yeah, they'll show okay. you a really dramatic sizzle reel of what's happening next episode. And you'll you'll go, really? That seems a little hyperbolic. And and when you watch the next episode, you realize, yes, they were really uh, manipulating you because that's what they do. That is what they do. And I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> Right. I, I'm here for it. I think it's part of the contract of these shows as a viewer that you go into it knowing that you're going to be a little manipulated. Uh, and I'm I'm OK with that. And like I said, I do like Gary a lot. I think he seems, you know, charming, interesting. I'm interested in his story. And I like these women. It's a fun cast. I like how, um, you know, there's the sensitive ones, the quirky ones. Uh, they're funny. They're interesting. They're beautiful. It's fun. I uh one thing that I'm so relieved to see, and uh, sorry for children listening, cover your ears, is just how horny these women are. We haven't seen these horny older women on network TV since the Golden Girls. I'm really here for it. Yeah, I, I am too. And I think it is a credit uh, to to the 
uh, to the producers, let's say, that they don't try to water down the format because the the, the format of The Bachelor and, and especially spinoffs like The Bachelor in Paradise is really about here are a bunch of horny people who are horny for each other. On, on Bachelor in Paradise, they're horny for each other. On Bachelor and Bachelorette, they're all horny for The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. But but it is assumed that they, they're all going to get into shenanigans and that they've all got, you know, the hots for whoever the star of the season is. And uh, this show fulfills that promise as it should. And I, I want to use this to talk about an article we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, Catherine Van Arendonk at Vulture, who is a writer I love, to be clear. I think she's got some great commentary on TV. Uh, she wrote a piece where she expressed her uh, disappointment with The Golden Bachelor, titled, Why Did The Golden Bachelor Have to Be Like This? And uh, I want to read one snippet from this. I think the whole piece, it's not too long. It's a great counterpoint to our enthusiasm about the show. But I think I have a compelling argument in the other direction. So what you know, what she said, uh, and I'm quoting here, uh, she painted a picture of an alternate version of the show, let's say. So uh, she goes, close your eyes and picture it. Gary's wearing a casual suit, maybe even no jacket, and the entire set is Nancy Myers' core. Beautiful beach house, lots of windows, afternoon light, furniture that says, we love children, but are no longer in the stage of our lives where we have to deal with them every day. The women could come and greet him, they'd all sit on the deck and talk, and an elimination ceremony could take place at the reasonable hour of 10 p.m., allowing everyone to go home and have a nice glass of wine. That's that's from her piece. And, uh, you know, okay, that sounds nice. But, Diane, I see the look on your face, and I think it's the look I'm having inside. What? I, I don't it's like that. It's patronizing. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, and there may be folks who say, hey, it's 10 p.m. I want to be in bed. Those people come in all ages. And, yes, it might, <laughs> you know, that might get become more of a thing as you get older but why do they have to i mean she just does she just not like the bachelor is my question the bachelor is a huge hit so why would you expect this to not be like that yeah why would you expect it to be different and i think it is fair to say if you don't like the bachelor you probably won't like this although if you're somebody who has tried to like the bachelor but been turned off sort of by the uh the overwhelming uh, nature of it all, this doesn't feel as overwhelming, partly because I think ABC hedged their bets a little bit, and there aren't so many two-hour extravaganza episodes with The Golden Bachelor, which I think is absolute overkill uh, for these kinds of reality shows. Each episode so far has been a tight, you know, 45 minutes plus ads, and that's the right length for this. That's the right amount of time I want to spend each week watching people, you know, go through these kind of emotionally manipulative motions. That's about how long I can take it before I go... All right, you're you're just toying with me, uh, and so I also feel that what uh, Catherine describes in that scene is really uh, removing all of that sexuality from these women. It's it's desexing them completely to say that line, that very well written line about we love children but are no longer in the stage of life where we have to deal with them every day. I, that just felt so insulting to me uh, in terms of talking about these women who are here because they want a bachelor experience. Imagine signing up for this, knowing what the bachelor is, and thinking, oh my god, I never thought at the age I am that I could be a contestant on the bachelor. This is so exciting and then you show up and they're like oh yeah but for the old people version of the bachelor everything's kind of toned down and you know instead of a limo it's like a beach and you know we'll we'll wrap by 10 so you can get some sleep honey yeah that's rude i i don't think that that's necessary 
Yeah, and I think audiences wouldn't uh, click with that either. I, th I think it would it would be trying to court an audience that doesn't want to watch The Bachelor anyway. We'll say that some of the show's humor seems to be derived from the fact that uh, there is a bit of a fish out of water thing for some of these people. They haven't dated in a while and they'll joke about that or like that moment with the woman with the who said, I've had both my knees replaced. Yeah. She was making light of the situation. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? But like they do talk about uh, how different it is to be doing this with older people. I don't think that the show acknowledging those differences or even exploiting them for some laughs at this point has been, has made me uncomfortable. It didn't ever feel like they were really like punching down at someone. Yeah, and certainly they have a whole season left to cross that line. Uh, so we will certainly check back in, but I agree. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. I'm yeah, not that... saying that they won't. I, yeah. I, I'm concerned that they will. Yeah, I am. Uh, ultimately, maybe my biggest uh, fear is that uh, they are going to ruin the good vibes that I'm feeling about this show. And I, I expect drama and I expect the hokey stuff that happens on reality TV. But I don't want them to do these uh, jokes at the expense of who these people are uh, in terms yeah. of, you know, age and and experience. You can, you know, have jokes at the expense of who they are based on their personality because that's how reality TV works. But yeah, mm -hmm. it, keeping it in the you know structure of it's just The Bachelor. It just so happens that these contestants are not uh, the ones you would normally see. Also, so far, I haven't seen many moments of the women turning on each other. Obviously, again, that's part of reality TV that contestants will have, you know, different personalities and there'll probably be fights. But that is another aspect of the original Bachelor that I didn't like. It felt like a very forced impersonation of like a male fantasy of like girl fights, you know, and I really didn't like it. I should say a hetero male mm -hmm. fantasy because yeah. it's this really b bizarre version of heterosexuality that like is obviously so sexualized and also putting up this false image of women as like virgins on the original bachelor there was um a a big issue on a season of the bachelorette because the woman who was supposed to decide who she was going to become engaged to slept with someone on the show and they were like how could she go to the honeymoon suite you know it was like well she's supposed to be getting yeah. engaged you would think that like that would be part of the equation. It's just absurd and the original. So I think uh, I have found this version refreshing so far. Yeah, and, and actually, I think it has the chance to solve one of the problems that has uh, built up over the years of The Bachelor. Because of its success, people become contestants on the show for a variety of reasons. You know, bringing mm -hmm. it back to the, like, I don't know if she's here for the right reasons. Well, yeah, if you're, like, 26 and you're an influencer, being on The Bachelor is good for you, even if you have zero interest in actually marrying the contestant or, or winning the game. Uh, so far, so far, None of these women appear to be influencers. Now, there is a, a vibrant elderly community on TikTok, so it is not too late for me to regret saying this. But based on two episodes, I feel safe in saying zero of these women are going to try to sell me something on social media, at least until they, the show becomes a huge success. None of them are there because of some ulterior motive in their you know, career as a pseudo-famous person. And none of them seem to harbor the desire to be a pseudo-famous person. 
No, though I could see a few of them ending up with a semi-successful cameo account. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. Or maybe like a guest spot on Dancing with the Stars. I could see Jerry, uh, Gary in a future season of The Masked Singer. Sure, sure. But but that's not their motivation for being on the show, which I think has been one of the problems uh, plaguing the mainline series where, you know, how do you get contestants that will give you that re- reality TV drama and juice, but who actually are there to be contestants and aren't there for a variety of other reasons. Right. I am. I'm nervous that these that some of these people are going to get heartbroken. I hope that they're okay. Yeah, there is the you know, especially as these uh, all these contestants seem a lot more willing to kind of just wear their emotions on their sleeves. Uh, some of it being, I think, you know, loaded by the fact that they, uh, you know, have dead spouses they're thinking of or talking about. Like, there, there's more emotion just uh, by default in this group of people. Uh, but I, I do I do feel like there are going to be scenes where I'm watching someone cry and I'm going to want to cry with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I hope also that this sort of expansive view of the Bachelor franchise might lead to, uh, why not just a bisexual Bachelor? Oh, I would watch that appointment TV. I would get Hulu with live TV so I could watch that live. Expand your base. Come on. I, you know, I, I, at a certain point, at a certain point, that is not going to be a fantasy idea. Uh, we're, I don't think we're quite there yet. You know, Golden Bachelor is baby steps in some ways. Uh, but the the fact is, it, the linear ratings on the premiere were pretty good. Uh, ABC is putting enough juice behind it. And certainly there's not a lot of competition right now. Uh, so it's a good time for them to to make this move. Uh, and and I'm I'm tickled so far for the most part. It, it there's a lot of corny stuff that happens in reality TV, and a lot of really corny stuff that happens on romance-based reality TV. And there's something real wholesome about these this cast of uh, characters, so to speak, because they're for the most part they're they're at a point in their life where they're like, I don't care about being corny. I don't need to look cool on TV. And so you know, in the second episode. When Gary takes his date to a, a diner that's clearly like a set of some kind, and then they have a milkshake together, and then suddenly they're in a flash mob and they're singing Don't Stop Believin'. The corniest thing I've seen on TV all year. But you know what? They were laughing and they were smiling and they were having a good time. And I was like, yeah, honestly, if I was, a, if, uh, you should try to have a good time on this show. I totally agree. It looked like so much fun. And it didn't feel like the show was laughing at them. It felt no. like everyone was just enjoying this lovely moment. I was really here for that. And if someone had just described it to me, I would have been like, what is this, like a grease flash mob? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of cute. Yeah. And literally in the like, you know, voiceover where they're they're interviewing them, uh, the, the cast after it happened, as we're watching it happen, she's saying, and then all of a sudden we were in a flash mob. And I'm like... As if that's a normal thing you say to somebody. Like, yeah, I was going down the street and all of a sudden I was in a flash mob singing Don't Stop Believin'. That, that's something that might have happened to you in 2005. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. There, there was a, a, my favorite moment from this second episode is they're driving to the date. And this is another one that I feel was almost certainly manufactured by yeah. the producers. Though I hope not every part of it was because... Uh, it made me nervous. But um, so they're driving on the expressway and Gary's from Indiana. He's never driven on the expressway before in Los Angeles. And uh, he's obviously intimidated by the 
traffic. Uh, his date, Teresa, has gotten her hair done and is just blowing everywhere in this convertible. And his headlights aren't working. And it's like, it, I'm very concerned. But then there is this lovely moment where she puts her hand on his shoulder and he's like, obviously heartened by that and it was very sweet i was like oh it doesn't have to just be you know like people in hot tubs to be an interesting show yeah yeah a hundred percent and i also watched that scene wondering okay but are his headlights really malfunctioning and if so did they break his headlights who did it like what what happened and is is this safe for him to drive this weird vintage car with malfunctioning headlights in the dark on the LA freeway i am i was i was worried i i would like to think that they wouldn't do that to him intentionally but <laughs> it didn't seem like they stepped in to fix the situation <laughs> But it worked out in the end. It did. And for one of these women, it will theoretically work out in the end because Gary seems in it to win it. I I fully expect him to find someone to propose to at the end of this. I think he might. Yeah. And he and, and, you know, the, the funniest thing about Gary to me is they've picked someone who would be universally acceptable in his demeanor to all like American political backgrounds. You know, I don't want to know how Gary votes. Gary is from Indiana. I don't want to know how Gary votes. He's very charming. And I feel like both sides of the aisle would have the exact same reaction of no, no, no. I do not do not spoil this for me. I agree. He's from Northern Indiana. We might right? be we okay. Might be okay. That's why I say oh. both sides would be like, you know what? There it's are, better. There are lovely it's people from Indiana. Better if we just keep out of this. <laughs> Before we wrap, I want to know, Diane, were there any of the contestants who you're, you are rooting for this season? I, I'll be honest. I'm still overwhelmed with the number of them. Uh, but there are a couple that have caught my attention. There is one that I really like, and I'm trying to remember her name. I don't even know if she's still in it, but I think she is. Um, she's the funny, She she's a funny one. And one of her things was, and her first impression with Gary, she uh, cursed a lot. And yeah. she did like a chant where she was cursing. Do you remember her name? Yeah, that's, uh, um, she's the one with the replaced knees. I think it's Sandra. Oh, it is Sandra. It is. Sandra or Sandra. I like her. I'm cheering for her. Yes. Sandra or Sandra, we're here for it. Uh, I also like uh, Susan. Susan's got a oh, good vibe. Was Susan the teacher, the retired teacher? <laughs> she, I don't remember she, Susan. She's one I can see a photo of, and I'm like, I like her. There was one moment that kind of gave me a little bit of an ick that Gary's first rose, his first impression rose, which is, you know, like the first sign that you might be winning, was given to the youngest woman there. Yeah, but then he kind of cooled on her, and I felt like that that moved in the right direction. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about it. I think she's still in the running. Yeah, Faith? right? Yeah. She was worried. Yeah. She was worried in episode two. Yeah, but she 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 made the cut. This is uh, my first experience really trying to track all of these contestants, and it is difficult. I, I do, I, as much as I maybe, uh, you know, say critical things about the amount of time and energy people spend on reality TV. That's our, I, I remembered who Susan was, yes. and she's a real one. <laughs> Susan's a winner. I, I am, I am uh, in awe of the people who can actually track this, the people who have the spreadsheets for all the, the different contestants, especially the ones who like track across seasons and across Bachelor in Paradise. It is so much work. I need one of those conspiracy theory pin boards and a lot of red string. 
I know. Also, as, when you're watching it with the young people, like they're like, oh, you know, I'm from Zach season. And you're like, you, anyone on this show could be named Zach. Yeah. They're all Zachs. All I see is a sea of Zachs. <laughs> uh, well, you know, in a sea of Zachs, sometimes you find a Gary. And that's what we've found on The Golden Bachelor. If you're watching The Golden Bachelor, uh, write to us. Give us a suggestion about other uh, reality shows we might actually enjoy following and tell us who you're rooting for on The Golden Bachelor. Uh, speaking of writing into us, I have one recommendation from a listener I want to share. Ooh, thank you. That recommendation comes after our Oktoberfest special last episode where we compared German shows. Here is a French spy thriller to tease you with. It's called The Bureau. There are five seasons of it, and in the U.S., you can watch it on AMC+. Thank you, listener Matt, for your recommendation of The Bureau, or Le Bureau, I assume. My parents love this show. Ah, there we go. It is on my list, but I am not currently subscribed to AMC+, Plus, so it will remain on my list for some time. And that is all the time we have this week. So listeners, as always, keep streaming. I need to do it. I'm sorry. Keep streaming. Keep streaming. Reliably high quality.